This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 183, Relics, Legendary Planets. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. This is it. This is the end. The, before the, the, oh, the yeah, calm you're right. before I, the storm. I didn't think about that. This We're is our last, last this is our all. last time before the tournament. The fully last starts. dance on Dixon. Here we yeah. go. Yeah, except there's no dancing on Dixon because <laughs> there's no dancing uh, for now. <laughs> They've outlawed Although, it in our town. We're gonna have to call Kevin Bacon. Well, no, they're about to say, hey, open up with the dancing. Everybody yeah. start dancing now all the time. Let's and, all you know. get sick at once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. The, the um, tournament does start this weekend. Well, the tournament's already started. Let's be clear. Qualifying yes. games. The qualifying players just like jumped in it. I put out a thing. I was like, all right, y'all can start kind of figuring out the thing. And we're like, cool. Who wants to play tomorrow? It's like, oh, okay. Have at it, I guess. That's fun. Yeah. And another thing, people keep asking me. Uh, hey, when are you going to start the dojo up? You said you were going to start the, the dojo up. And here's the thing, y'all. You're the ones moving fast on this. Like, yeah. do, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, at this. You're, you're the ones who have decided that the tournament started already and it's it's go time, go. It's like, this would be, a, it would be normal for me to have not opened it up yet. Um, and the reason I haven't opened it up yet is I wanted to uh, have some time to put it up and then uh, get together kind of a kickoff game or the dojo, but I don't think I'm actually going to be able to do a kickoff game yeah. because I'm streaming two games this coming weekend right. uh, of the tournament. Um, so might not be doable. Maybe, uh, maybe I will do one for like a Monday, but just the idea of the dojo being like, Hey, I'm going to play with a group of people that aren't even in the Patreon, just like randos who knows who it is. Yeah. Let's, let's get them in here. Um, so I, I, you know what, by the time you've listened to this, I bet I've already decided to just open it up and we'll just see how it goes. So there is now a special channel. If you are, um, if you have any of the tournament privileges, that is you're like you're, you're a tournament player, you will have access to uh, a, a text channel where in the discord where you can uh, arrange for practice games. Yeah. Um, and please do, because it's always better when people are used to TTS yeah. and understand how the draft is supposed to work. The more familiar you are, the smoother the game yeah. will be for everybody. There's players like John who like gets crazy diligent with his practice <laughs> regiments and stuff. And, and mm -hmm. I'm sure they'll get in some, some dojo games, but the dojo is certainly intended to try to mitigate some of the hiccups um, players unfamiliar with TTS have. So that's not to say John isn't allowed. It's very helpful when players like John are in dojo games and can also help <laughs> new players to TTS. Uh, so yes. but that, that's that's certainly the purpose. If you've never played a game on TTS before, you should come try a dojo game before you do your uh, tournament game, please, for the, for all of our <laughs> sakes. Yes. Uh, let's yeah. talk about the schedule of it, though. Also, oh my god, kind of dropped the ball for a long time on an on like I guess announce. This is a thing that deserves announcing that we haven't really announced previously. But uh, this year's tournament, we we kind of have a partnership going. Um, th this was twofold uh, because we're streaming all the prelims games. Uh, Hunter and I 
aren't physically capable of doing that. Uh, that would right. just be too much. So we needed extra help. And what better way to bring someone in than someone who can cover a time zone that we can't very well. Um, right. We can we can fill ourselves up with weekend games in American time zones. But then that always leaves European people uh, kind of in the dust and even worse, um, you know, Pacific Co uh, Pacific Oceania Ocean folks, Oceania, yeah. Australia, New Zealand, all of them. They don't necessarily get saved with our solution, but we've got Luke M, the winner of last year's tournament, Duke Lukem and Flat Tomatoes joining us this year for the tournament, streaming games. They're doing a game pretty much every single weekend along with us. So they are they are wow. in it with us. Um theirs are generally going to be European morning start times. Hunter and I will generally do American morning start times. That means what it means to you, depending on where you are in the world. Some people don't get easy games uh, scheduled for them. We will do our best to make those happen. But honestly, I sent out a sign-up thing, and people just started signing up for games regardless of if it's convenient for their time zone. Uh, right. It makes me really feel dumb about previous years, like going through all of the hurdles I went through to try to get everyone like a decently timed game. When this year, there's like a dozen people who are like, okay, my game starts at 4 a.m. I guess I'm going to stay up, or I'll, I'll have to go to sleep at like 4 p.m. the <laughs> night before, and I can get up. And it's like... You didn't have to do that to yourself. There's going to be more games scheduled, but okay, whatever. People want to get their games over and done with. That's the most common thing I see is people are like, I can't think about these prelims anymore. I have to right. have moved on from that. I have to actually play them. <laughs> um, so, Matt, this is the opening weekend yeah. uh, this weekend. What, what are those dates and times for people that maybe yeah. want to watch? So, Friday, March 19th at 1500 UTC. 1500 that's uh now that daylight savings has changed that'll be 10 a.m uh central standard time if you're you, you know frequent to our show but 1500 utc will be the very first game of the prelims uh on twitch.tv slash space cats peace turtles hunter and i'll both be there then yeah. saturday the next day march 20th at 9 utc that's pretty early for you USA folks, but that's 9, 9 a.m. For, for Duke and uh, Flat Tomatoes. So that'll be on twitch.tv slash Flat Tomatoes. And then Sunday, the next day, March 21st at 1400 UTC. That's 9 a.m. Central Standard Time or Central Daylight Time, I should say. Yeah, CDT. Central Time. Yeah, um, whatever. That'll be Hunter uh, on the Space Cats Peace Turtles Twitch. Um, I will try to be there for some of that game, but I uh, Sundays will you will generally not see me after this weekend. It'll usually be Hunter on one game, me on one game. Yeah, but obviously yeah. we both wanted to be there for like the inaugural, the first game. We both got to be there. So yeah, we're, the we're kickoff game. Yeah. So so yeah, you'll you'll. You'll see me and Matt uh, basically go our separate ways, commentary-wise, <laughs> in the in the prelims. No, 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 but I'm, I'm setting it up yeah. so that whenever the semifinal starts, it'll be, oh, they're back together, you yeah. know, and you can actually be excited about it, or not excited about it if you're <laughs> never excited about Us me and Matt commentary, <laughs> commentating anything, which those people exist, and hey, I see you. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> I see your YouTube comments. <laughs> uh, we have some Nomad errata before we get into our Relics episode today, uh, but uh, Nomad errata from last week, we did a, an introduction to Nomad. Uh, first up here from Squeamish Emu is regarding Winu's flagship, which is funny. We have some Winu flagship errata in our Nomad yeah. episode, but <laughs> this is this is fun and we're talking about, we were talking about um, selling free flagships to other factions and we were like, well, maybe Winu, but then we were kind of like, ah, but the Winu flagship is bad. 
But Squeamishimu is here to correct us. It's actually a pretty good ship now because if it's on Mechatol, it satisfies a two-point objective and it rolls t- it rolls on a five instead of a seven. All of those extra uh, dice that you roll for the Winu flagship are are much better than the sevens that we're used to seeing them on. So the Winu flagship yeah. parked on Mechatol is actually quite a behemoth these days. Right. It's yeah. It's it's a it's a combo with uh, with the commander in a way that. That means all your cruisers are hitting on fives now, which is insane, which the commander was already ridiculous. So I think it's more like the way I would I, I don't disagree with uh, uh, Squeemoo here, which is can we start that? Can we call him Squeemoo? <laughs> um, I don't disagree with Squeemoo. Um, I would say, though, that maybe the way I would phrase this is the commander makes the flagship. It puts the flagship in play. Yeah, I don't think it elevates the flagship to such an extent where right. I now consider it like essential uh yeah. but yeah pretty good but totally fair agree with you there squeamu yeah uh next up is one from space lawyer uh in talking about thundarian we were sort of assessing the value of when can you really make the sale happen is it even that good of an ability we were sort of middling on it uh but space lawyer says thundarian is best used in clutch ground combat combats it works for both small skirmishes so a 2v1, it's very clutch for the player with the two ground forces to score a hit round one or to not take a hit round one. And it's also useful in big fights where probabilities are more of a factor in general. So for uh, for your own use, you can take more risks on ground combat. And for sale, you get better prices in ground combats, especially because many ground combats are directly four points. Yeah, that's a good point. And that is the logic you would use in order to sell the Thundarian. Yeah. But... I think I think me and Matt got kind of stuck on the whole like if we're talking very few dice being rolled in the combat like in the two v one how much how much difference are we going to experience if we re roll it what's the likelihood that right. we get the exact same outcome for yeah. for example let's say none sure. of the ground forces hit and then we re roll it and then then none of them hit again you know yeah. what I mean I mean there's definitely an argument too though that the idea that ground force combats in general are more swingy I mean a, a, yes. a, a, the, some differences in what gets hit in a space combat doesn't even always make or break the whole point of the combat in the first place but a ground combat you can change the entire context of everything I would even say more so save it for those like final rolls when it gets down to a 1v1 and then the defender wins <laughs> And you yes, don't get your hit or whatever. That. You can jump in with Thondarian and be like, "Hey, oh, you want to give it one more go? You you might actually get this planet. So this is your chance if you get two trade goods or whatever." I I think for for infantry because they hit on like an eight or yeah. a seven, I guess if they're upgraded, um, it makes more sense to me to use it as more of a defensive tool. Yeah. Uh oh, somebody got a hit and I didn't get a hit. Right. Uh, maybe if we rule all that, they won't get a hit because it's not, you know, it's not like they're rolling on fives where it's Definitely. a, you know, good shot. They might get a hit each time or whatever. I don't know math and I, we don't do math here on this show. We're not good at numbers. Okay. So yeah, we're, t- if we're talking about numbers, you can be confident. We are talking out our butt. Okay. Yep. Out our butt and into your ear. <laughs> here's a, here's one from Gabe. Uh, this is about Duranium. I think Hunter and I uh, said everything we want to say about Duranium, which is yes. it can definitely be crazy. It's just really far out of the way. But I liked this point from Gabe just to further sell how good Duranium can be because I think it's a point we didn't touch on. But I do not think it changes our assessment 
of whether or not you should re research duranium. Now, we like duranium. We like duranium. It's just hard to get. Duranium is extra insane for them due to their mechs, of course, but also because of their hero. Being able to hop around and continuously win ground battles while repairing your mechs each round lets your hero go full force. Most duranium uses are useful mid-combat, as you can heal your mechs in order to increase your chances of winning a combat. However, with the Nomad Hero, you repair mid-combat a few times, but you also repair battle after battle. Because duranium is at the start of a combat round, basically your mechs repair the first combat round of every single combat they enter into. So you just keep going with these mechs, and, and that is certainly potent and, and further pushes the idea of if you've got the red skips, you should get Duranium because it's going to make your hero push pretty well, wackadoodle. I just, I just want to push back a little bit here. So it, it's, it's after you assign hits that you yes. do Duranium. So I, I would say that I, this, is a, this is a great plan, and this is essentially why uh, I recommend Duranium, but... There is still going to be that situation where you have exhausted mechs at the end of one battle, yeah. start the next one, and you may not repair those mechs until the end of your first combat first round. For sure. So it, it's, it's potent, but I don't want to overstate it. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. It's, I, I, I like it, but let's, well, let's remember where, when you repair, yeah. essentially. Last up is Schroeder. Schroeder says, I'm not sure if someone mentioned this, but you have a super high warfare stall potential with Sling Relay. Uh, if you have the ground forces to spare, you can do four good actions before warfare, so long as you can get Gravity Drive and a carrier, which is reasonable. Um, we talked a, a, a lot about strategy cards, and I think even, Hunter, in our prep, we talked a little bit about, about the warfare stall potential, but I don't think in the actual recording we sort of harped on how ridiculous round one uh, Nomad can be if you are trying to do a warfare stall meta against other players. Schroeder, uh, after this comment, told a story of him playing as Soul and getting kind of crushed by a Nomad warfare stall. So no warfare stalls have fallen out of fashion because so many things happen in round one, but Nomad is like one of the few factions that can bring that stall potential back and maybe lock people out of building new units in their home system to then take uh, more planets this turn. Yeah. Yeah, I the this this makes a lot of sense and and we should we should have talked about it, but let me tell you this. So I'm gonna make uh, I got a little prediction here for the future. In the future in Twilight Imperium, uh, no one will take warfare round one because why? It's like diplomacy. It gives everybody else something better than it gives you. Okay. Yeah. I, I have you ever seen me take warfare round one? I don't do that anymore. <laughs> okay, because I secretly think, and That's I'm trying better. to get everybody else on board with this too. What are you even doing that for yeah. anymore? What is the point? Everybody loves the secondary of warfare. Right. But how does the primary user get something better every time? I'm not convinced. Yeah. I'm not convinced. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I buy it for sure. I, I, I think I'm such a uh, product or a, like I'm so bad about like seeing this crazy like gambit I can take and be like, oh, let me stretch myself thin and do it. And warfare, boy, howdy, is that the tool <laughs> to do that I with? Mean, uh, I think but, on round two, on round three, totally makes sense. If, yeah. if, if you got your stuff set up right. and, uh, you know, you need warfare to, to go take that thing. But I just think, I think people are giving away something that we've gotten so accustomed to giving away this warfare secondary to yeah. everybody just so one person can what? Like fill up their slice early? Like, so what, you it? would rather see Diplo than warfare at this point? Like if you were last pick and warfare, I, Imperial, and Diplo are, are looking you in the face. Imperial, maybe. Me, 
Imperial. <laughs> and that's what I'm telling you. Is <laughs> okay. Imperial. Get the secrets. Well, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't love it, but I do think you have an argument there of secret objectives mm -hmm. become so much more important to your round five swing I potential. Mean, I I'll say this, like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having a fun little hot take here, but, uh, but I do want to say we haven't even gotten to the point where warfare is falling to last pick. We're yeah. not even at, we're yeah. not even close to that. Right. Okay. And I'm starting to question the point of taking it at all. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. I'm just trying to open that up. I think that's fair. Okay. Let's get into episode proper. It's time. Uh, we recently did an episode on exploration, but in that episode, we could not fit a conversation about uh, the relics, which is kind of, for some people, the whole point of exploration. The whole, the whole thing you're doing with all this exploration is looking for relic fragments and trying to get relics. And we decided to fold into that because there's not that many relics. It's, it, it wouldn't take us too long. We wanted to talk about legendary planets as well uh, because that's a very, very light topic that deserves some coverage. So we're going to start with legendary planets and then we'll get into some relics. Um, so if you're kind of newer, legendary planets are a new type uh, or a, a, a new category of planets. Uh, there is only four of them currently. Uh, and uh, Hope's End, Primor, Mirage, and Malice are all legendary planets. There are some objectives that uh, have legendary planets as their target. You need to have a legendary planet to do things. Uh -huh. There's a relic we'll talk about later that uh, revolves around stealing legendary planets from each other to gain a point. Um, legendary planets also all come with big superpower abilities that you do at the end of a turn. So on the turn, you take a legendary planet. Yeah, you exhaust the planet like you always would, but you get an ability unexhausted that you can basically do immediately. So especially early game, a lot of these legendary planets open up things of getting new units on the map round one if it's close enough to you. So some of these legendary planets are like a very, very big deal, and we're going to kind of talk through all of their benefits. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like an episode of Space Cats Beast like Turtles. We're going to talk about a component, <laughs> and then we're going to go in hard on it, you know? What, how did this work in TI3? It was like... They were, we they, were, they were planets with refresh abilities, is what most of these oh, yeah. became. So, so Hope's End, Primor, and Ma uh, Mirage were all planets with refresh abilities, and you had to decide to tap the planet in the status phase to gain the thing and most of them weren't a very good trade-off besides like essentially hope's end was the only one that was maybe worth doing the other two were pretty questionable and it's mm -hmm. just an ability never got used but essentially dane turned those abilities into these legendary cards yeah yeah so it's like a lot more efficient and easy to use yeah. than it was in ti3 ti3 being just kind of restrictive and a little right. too costly with everything yep. everything was a decision in ti3 and now it's like <laughs> Now you get some stuff for free. Get your cake and eat it too. First up, we have the only hazardous legendary planet, Hope's End. Hope's End, uh, the the former way to spawn. Uh, what were they called? Shock troopers. Shock troopers. Uh, <laughs> I boy do I, I miss shock troopers. But this was like the only way. This this was what gave so much flavor to Hope's End was this this idea um, and that to me that's what made it such a juicy system uh, now there's a bit more of an emphasis on mechs these days uh, so I would love to read the Hope's End uh, flavor text the flavor oh give us the flavor we're we're in a new age where we where we are bringing lore back into the episodes uh, so Absol uh, and can party <laughs> so absol can give us errata it's yes. the real, <laughs> the real be like you guys did that wrong <laughs> uh, all right hope's end buried in the ickle nebula 
The Lazics used the toxic wildlife and fierce aurora storms to train their troops. Even now, volatile weapon <laughs> caches remain hidden beneath its sands. Okay, so you kind of read it like you're like an old dying warlock or something. Mm -hmm. Can you do it again, brain. but as like a like a spunky teen or something? Like, oh, you a... want me to get like an anime voice going? Ooh, sure, yeah. I wasn't Buried in the anime. Ankle Nebula, the Lazics used the toxic wildfire <laughs> and fierce aurora storms to train their troops. Even now, volatile weapon caches remain beneath the hidden sands. <laughs> come on, Funimation. When are you going to come knocking for this guy? When, when is it going to happen? Uh, let's talk about... It's a 3-0? Three, I, I wrote 3-1 three, three, one on our sheet, but I think it's a 3-0. I don't know. Oh, why yeah. It's a three zero. Uh, so it's yeah. a pretty good planet. Uh, you can obviously get some good juicy exploration on there to turn it into like a five zero. Uh, very, very juicy. But let's read the ability that comes with this. It is called Imperial Arms Vault. You may exhaust this card at the end of your turn to place one mech from your reinforcements on any planet you control or Oof. draw one action card, which that second part, the draw an action card is often forgotten about by myself and I think other players as well. It's, it is most, this planet is mostly known as the mech spawner, but what's so interesting to me, and this is a, a trend throughout all these legendary planets, is you don't have to just put them on Hope's End. It's, uh, you can put them in your hope, home system. Oh, also, buried deep beneath the surface, oh my the God. lost vaults contain a legion's worth of weapons. You're doing the dying warlock voice again. Like, I'm not saying it all has to be anime voice. I'm just saying, like, switch it up a little, you know? Uh, well, we'll get him on the next one. The next one will be a, a different vibe altogether. But this, one, this okay, is such good, a dark, good. brooding planet, it felt. Oh, I see. I see. I'm you're going, going, you're trying art. to go thematic with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you get a mech somewhere. Um, or you can draw an action card. That'll, that'll be even more important here in a minute. But this is obviously known for the mech thing. So, how Hunter, how good is it to just get a free mech anywhere you want it? It's fine. I mean, it's, it's if your mech is good, it's really good. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I, I think this is probably the best one. Yeah, man, probably. I mean, yeah, it is. It's the best one. Um, well, this one has juicy uh, round one-ish, two-ish potential, especially if you have, if, if Hope's End is like right next to you and you got another hazardous planet in your slice that you can take, you take Hope's End first, you spawn a mech at home, and then your next... Beautiful. activation is to send that mech to that hazardous planet and get free stuff instead of killing an infantry for stuff right so hope like we're gonna see in the purple slice in the tournament like a million times right. that's how people are gonna do it <laughs> although they, there's not there's not a hazardous in that there's not a hazardous so adjacent that yeah you got you got to run far and wide to find another hazardous planet that was by design because uh we saw it a different way and that slice became very scary <laughs> when there were two yeah. hazardous ones in it that's a lot of free stuff that you can get but you should be on the look out for that uh, with Hope's End. Because again, the second you take Hope's End, you get that legendary ability and can use it at the end of that turn immediately. So you'll have it ready for the next one. Uh, the thing I want to do next is talk... Hunter, you said for some for some mechs, it's pretty good. Uh, for, for others, it's not. What what are we evaluating that on? What's, what's our call of like, what factions don't, I guess, care about Hope's End? Yeah, um, it's not that there are factions that don't care about it, yeah. and I, I think I think people are just so hot on Hope's End that I'm just trying to take a little air out of the sure. balloon, but <laughs> it is obviously the best one. But uh, we just wanted to list real quick, here are all the factions that either have deploy abilities, so like maybe don't, maybe these are factions that could think about getting the action card instead, uh -huh. or like factions that maybe can just de-emphasize this a little bit. 
Um, although even in my small list here, I'm going to make some exceptions. So there's like, we've got Yin and Soul. They both have deploy ability mechs. Yeah. Um, however, uh, both of them, it costs monies yeah. and maybe maybe too much money to where they would still like Hope's End. Uh, Soul it has to spend three resources on top of an orbital drop. And then Yin does it during the indoctrination step. And, and it costs an extra influence. Extra influence. Yeah. Um, so that's three influence there, which is actually quite, that's a little more expensive than I was even thinking it was. Yeah. Um, you've got Barony that can basically deploy mechs whenever they would need them. So I'm not sure how important this is for a Barony. And that's a cost as well. Yeah. So I'll say that But it's much. like two, two resources. Two, two bucks, like, but you do it like at the start of a combat. So I, I don't know. That's pretty juicy. Yeah. Um, SAR, I don't even remember what their deploy was. It, it's, it's when uh, you it was, take, when you gain control of a planet, you can do it instead yes. of the trade good. Instead of gaining a trade good, you can get a mech down or, or some version of that. I'm probably, no, you're right. You're right. It's but, like, instead of scavenging, they just get a mech, which is actually, that's really cheap in my opinion yeah. that that's their deploy ability. It's like, why does SAR get so many good abilities? Um, but I would say, yeah, I mean, I, I would rather, uh, get it for free than have to lose a trade good, but yeah. losing a trade good is not the end of the world. Um, Isarl, all they have to do is use stall tactics and then they get their mech. I didn't even <laughs> think about that. So they're, they have a deployability uh, and it's, uh, it's easy to do. So well, maybe they just want the that action That one's card. really funny because the idea uh, of Hope Send is to get a free mech and Isarl's does it kind of in two different ways because instead of getting a free mech, you could just get another action card and then you could use that action card to stall tactics to get a free mech. So right. it's like, so you might as well do the action card and then if it's worth stalling for, stall for it or do something else, you know, use a different worse card. But like, Isarl should basically always take the action card because again, also you're drawing an action card. You get to draw two and pick one. So it's even right. more cycling of the deck for you as Isarl. So Hope's End is kind of well, ridiculous for Isarl. Well, I do have a question. Does does the deploy for Isarl's mech, do they just deploy anywhere like how Hope's End works? Or is it is there any limitations on it? Here, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, you may place one mech on a planet you control. Yeah, it's just it's wherever. <laughs> Uh, yeah, is so are people sleeping on Asarl? Is Asarl actually like really good? I think Asarl might be really awesome, and I'm very their agent rules and the this ability rules, and yeah, they're real good. It seems like, and and, and by people, I mean, have we been sleeping on Asarl? Yes. Um, so, <laughs> uh, Arborek, uh, can get a mech during mitosis instead of an infantry. That's not really much of a cost. Um, yeah. So I would say, eh, well, whatever. Um, Muat, they get a mech in addition to. To doing uh star forge muats is the main one where i'm like okay i don't i don't feel the need for hope's end because my my star forge is so much value at once that like i really might fill up doing it that way versus doing the free mech but i don't know at the end of the day a free mech is always a free mech so this ability is never and you get an bad. action card even if you don't want the mech for some right. reason so like it's all it's yeah it's this is it this is such a good You'll notice none of the other have a legendary planets have yeah. this like trade-off aspect to it to just it's like Dane was like wanted to make sure you knew that Hope's End was the best one. Yeah. So yeah. it's like you either get a mech or like he didn't or even need to add the action direct card from thing. my bank account. <laughs> yeah, like like you don't need to to get the I get the point of it. It's like he wanted Hope's End to give you something even after you've already got because you only have four mechs, right? Yeah, so right. if they're all out, then I mean I guess you could scuttle them. Uh, if they're not activated or whatever, but essentially eh, it kind of loses uh, yeah. functionality, but like it's still a mech and it's a lot better than any, than any of the other stuff. Um, yeah. So Volwraith Cabal, they the, they don't have a deploy mech, but they start with uh, self-assembly routines. So getting a mech out there isn't exactly uh, hard to do. 
And then uh, Titans, their mech has a deployability, but they have to spend their Awaken tokens yeah. or the, whatever, their sleeper tokens, that is, um, in order to do it. And they might rather spend that on uh, PDS or Space Stocks or whatever, um, whatever it is that they're, that they're going after at that point. Uh, yeah, so those but- are all the special considerations. And I say that not to say that Hope Send is not good for those factions. Obviously, no. it is. Yeah. I, I just want to list for you real quick the factions that you might want to uh, add some additional thinking to the whole hope. If anything, thing. it's just an argument of like, those are factions you might more often take the action card than the mech. Yes. Because you're yeah. getting your mechs out probably anyways. But I mean, half of those, again, if it, if I'm taking it round one, I'm still going to get the free mech because it's a free mech round one. I don't I don't care. I'll, I'll run into the problem of having too many mechs when I actually have too many mechs. But the more I get for free, the better. Yeah. Uh, next up is Primor. Primor is a cultural planet. It's a 2-1, so uh, a little bit less efficient values than our Hope's End brother. Uh, But Primor, large temperature world, site of several pitched battles during the (laughs) Twilight Wars due to valuable osmium deposits and a well-educated populace. Okay, cool. Thank you. Uh, Um, Primor's ability is the attriment. You may exhaust <laughs> this card at the end of your turn to place up to two infantry from your reinforcements on any planet you control. Yeah. Well, so it's orbital drop, but you don't have to spend a command counter. Right. So yeah. pr- pretty, 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 pretty cool. <laughs> um, I, you know, I almost wish uh, that you had had done it in the old Warlock, the Dying Warlock now. I like Well, I have some legendary texts I can do for you. A clade of assassin <laughs> scholars has watched over Primor, pledged to its populace's survival. Assassin scholars. What are we talking about in the Twilight Imperium universe? What do these yeah, things I mean? I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's a weird place. Um, so... You can get DMZ there. That's cool, but that's also true of uh, the other legendary planets we're going to talk about. Yep. Um, well, how do you how do you rank this one? It's it seems like maybe you don't like this one that no, much. No, uh, this like is this my one this is bit. my second favorite. The, the the DMZ point is a funny one because it's it you know DMZ is going to be good to protect legendary planets. That's like an important factor right. in where if you're if you're like a big explore faction and you're trying to reactivate it with Scanlink to get the DMZ, you're doing it on. Primor or any of these other cultural planets we're about to talk about because you don't want people to be able to take it from you uh, yes. and steal a point or whatever it might be. Um, but this one is probably the worst one to do that with because the other two are generally in more difficult positions to deal with. Uh, we'll talk about both independently, but also this one has innately built into it a way to defend itself. Now you can put those infantry anywhere and, and the best use of Primor, in my opinion, is to send infantry home. Right. Every round mm-hmm. instead of I mean, if, if I can build more ships at home and I don't have to spend two of my production value, especially on like low production capacity homes. Primor right. is such a huge get because you can really save that like like a Hakan situation where you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm struggling to get infantry on all of my planets. Primor right. is a godsend. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, it's not it's like like you said, it's a two one. It's a two resource planet. So it's not a great staging area. It's not a super, you know awesome place to put a forward dock so yeah sending them home i think makes a lot of sense or or even or just sending them to problem planets right. like you know you took an equidistant and now 
uh, you're probably gonna have to reinforce it. But now I got two infantry I can just throw on there. So it's like, bloop, okay. Yeah, right. You can do it the round you take Mechatol Rex, right? You can save Primor cool. in a turn, take Mechatol with whatever you needed to do to take it, and then send two more infantry there to defend it immediately. Um, so Pr Primor is a huge use, especially if you have aggression planned within a round. Save that Primor ability for when you take a planet and immediately uh, defend it. Uh, it's also really good round one, similar to uh, uh, Hope's End, but maybe even better in terms of factions that are infantry starved. Um, you know, something like Jolnar. Jolnar's big problem to deal with is you only have two infantry, but you have plenty of ships with capacity. If Primor's in your slice, jump on Primor, get two more infantry back at home, you're going to have uh, a field day in your in You're your going to have a expansion. good time. Yeah. We'll, we'll guarantee that. You're going to have a good time. <laughs> great time, great country. Jolnar. Um, <laughs> What's the so what's what's the next one, Matt? Uh, next one next? is Malice. Malice is of course our planet inside the wormhole nexus. So the only way you get to Malice is if you discover the gamma wormhole, which there are two, technically three opportunities for. Right, Gosacreus can spawn it, or you can find it on a different cultural planet, mm -hmm. or you can find it in a frontier token in empty space. So getting to yeah. Malice can be a little bit tricky, and then once you get there and activate it and take it. Um, if you have Malice, Malice is now a Gamma Wormhole, Alpha Wormhole, and Beta Wormhole system. So people have lots of access to it. So uh, Malice is a 0-3 planet, and uh, its ability is Exterix Headquarters. You may exhaust this card at the end of your turn to gain two trade goods or conv convert all of your commodities to trade goods. So this ability gets better <laughs> depending on what faction you are playing as. Four commodity factions or Hakan can just turn all of their commodities into traders. Although this sort of has the similar issue that Industrial Planet Explorers had that we talked about, which is like, it's not, at least in a lot of metas we play in, it's not that difficult to convert your commodities into trade goods. So just gaining actually two trade goods in a lot of situations might be better because you probably won't have a, a ton of difficulty um, making money off of your commodities. But maybe people are, mm -hmm. are, are holding you over a barrel and you got to find a different way around it. Or it's late game and you need yeah. uh, the the you need those trade goods to win, and now right. you can do the secondary of trade and, and refresh yourself. So yeah. I mean, convert all your own commodities. That is um, pretty interesting. Uh, I I like that it's worth a, a command counter. That's some yes. value out of it. Um, and obviously DMZ on this planet yeah. would be flipping amazing. This is probably right? my favorite DMZ. This is the one that's the most necessary because like we said, it's kind of out of your way no matter how you cut it. There's no way yeah. for Malice to be like especially convenient to you. It's always like two systems away from you because at best you have like an alpha in front of your home system or whatever. Well, and even if it is as convenient as possible, the fact of the matter is that there's going to be, you know, who knows how other many people. other ways to get to it. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, it's also, I mean, there's a lots of objectives that target, uh, wormholes or specifically the wormhole nexus. There's also a lot of agendas that do stuff to, to the wormhole nexus or to wormholes. So mm -hmm. like malice is not a place you want to hang out. And it, it, it's, it's good that it's a zero three. You're not going to put a space dock here anyways. You're not going to have this as like some sort of forward mm -hmm. dock in most cases. Some factions could, could get value out of it, but, uh, it's, it is better positionally for other things. Not so much like storing a bunch of stuff there but this that's why it's like the best one to get dmz on because then you can just have it and forget that it exists and like okay yeah people use it as a highway to get like from the alpha move through mouse to then go through a beta or whatever you know they do crazy shenanigans doesn't matter to you you have the planet you get the money that can't be taken away from you yeah uh man did you just kind of make me think about cabal taking yeah i did we were both having there. that same that's thought disgusting. and that's dirt that's dirty that's a dirty place i've to never be. seen that before that would make <laughs> my my 
That would make my butt hurt, to be honest. <laughs> You're um, really focused on your butt in today's My episode. heart in my butt would hurt, you know? Because I Hunter, had a did you know that Malice was founded by black market traders that fled through a wormhole and ended up in the space between? Space between! <laughs> Do you know that Malice, that, that song's always <laughs> playing uh, while you're on Malice? I wish I had like a replacement co-host <laughs> that I could sub in whenever you read the flavor text of anything. Not Trapped that I, in not a that I don't space believed to be beyond our universe. Shimmering world of strange energies and disconcerting warping of physical laws sitting at the heart of a strategically vital wormhole nexus. This is the disco ball, baby. Just let me know when you're done because I'm, done. I'm just working on other stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay, cool. So is there anything else left to say about Malice? Actually, I think Malice is the the, the coolest one because Malice it's the in the coolest Nexus. One. It's the kind of thing, too, where I'm sure smarter players than you and I can sort of like really suss out the value of like when to commodity and when to get the trade. I think generally speaking, gaining two trade goods is almost always going to be better for you, except for like Hunter said, in like a final round scenario. Um, so well, yeah. let's just do the math real quick. In an X minus one, you sure. know, meta... You're going to get two trade goods plus X minus one, yeah. which is more than if you just got full. It's one more. Yeah. I could do that math. That's yeah. math I can do. If you're a now, two if you're or an X three... minus two oh, scenario, uh-uh, uh-uh. Because <laughs> that's just equal, my friend. All right, let's do our last one. It's Mirage. We actually talked quite a bit about Mirage in the exploration episode because it pops up through the frontier tokens. Um, so when you initially take Mirage, it is impossible for you to have units there now what's mm -hmm. funny is you could you could have saved primor discovered mirage and then use primor's ability to put two infantry on mirage that would be kind of handy uh but mirage is a one two that gets put into an empty uh or a planetless hex uh off after the frontier token uh it exists on no known charts and appears deserted to those who stumble across it however secretive locals live in cloaked cities heavily defended by swarms of starfighters cloaked uh, cities yeah so they just have like cities with like giant like big, capes around big capes them or around what? them yeah <laughs> uh, they also have the mirage flight academy unsurprisingly the triple ace instructors emphasize strike and fade tactics and misdirection uh you may exhaust this card at the end of your turn to place up to two fighters from your reinforcements in any system that contains one or more of your ships that's actually a really weird uh way to word that because you notably cannot put this Obviously, your fighters have to like have capacity. If you have fighter two, Mirage becomes an annoying ability to have because you can't just mm -hmm. put your fighter twos wherever you want. They still have to be with ships. Now, they don't have to be with ships sure. with capacity. So you are still just adding two other fleets or whatever. But but most notably to me is if for some reason you've left a space dock with nothing above it, undefended, you can't uh, Mirage Flight Academy that system. You have to have at least like a fighter there and then you can fill up the rest of the space dock with two more fighters. But this is the weirdest ability to use and it's kind of the least useful one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, also, I want to add, before we get too far away from the lore, I don't understand <laughs> this planet that yeah. good because, uh, and it's really, I get the idea that it's like a hidden secretive planet, whatever. Mm. Who cares, I ask. But why... <laughs> why is there a flight academy there because you don't hide a school you know you don't you, unless it's hogwarts you don't do a secret school and and you definitely don't do a secret school that's for training pilots what 
something literally it's not even training in subterfuge. It's like, no, we just need pilots. We need people that can fly <laughs> ships. I don't care. Don't let anyone know that we've got a flight school. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know why it's like Hogwarts with, with pilots. It's, it's Hog- <laughs> Where's it's, that it's, fan fiction? Get My Son is also named Bored on that one. Yeah, I want the story please. of the hidden flight pi- uh, pilot students. Um, you know, I think it's, I, I, I wish it was a potent ability since yeah. Mirage is so rando. Right. It just pops out or it doesn't, you know, well, in a lot well, of games it doesn't, to be honest. The, the worst thing about it is the idea that you take Mirage, you, you move into Mirage, right? Let's even yes. say you moved into Mirage with like a carrier that was carrying capacity. Which I don't know why you would be doing. I don't know that, why but... you would do that, but let's say you did. If you were full up on capacity, you still can't even put those new fighters in that system. You right. can't you the, the you take Mirage and then you immediately put fighters somewhere else, um, which is is very tricky and, and weird. And it, it, I wish that Mirage had a way. I almost wish Mirage and Primor's abilities were flipped so that when you yeah. took Mirage, you didn't invade it, but you get to always immediately put two ground forces down. Dude, on and it. I can fix it. I can fix the lore now. So like, yeah, Secret of Flight Academy is strange. <laughs> But if they're but these infantry that are popping up, they're uh-huh. like spies. Yeah, exactly. It's like a secret spy academy, <laughs> and that's fine. I totally get that. They just pop up out of nowhere, you yeah. know. Th- this but, one is another useful one. I think less so than Malice for the DMZ. I don't know why we're harping so much on DMZ, but it's because they're all cultural planets, so you sort of have to think yeah. about it. You do when you take Mirage, even though you don't put infantry down, you gain it. So you do get to uh, explore it. And this is the one where you kind of really do, at least initially, you would like to see that DMZ hit there because otherwise it's an empty planet that like someone could just take very easily from you. Um, but after the initial explore, if you don't get DMZ, you may not care anymore because if you can get reinforcements there, you're probably going to be okay. Yeah. Have I talked on the podcast yet about the time I was playing a Sardak Noir and someone discovered Mirage right next to my planets and i was just like and I, i'm pretty sure i took i took it on my first turn after they found yeah. mirage because i was just like oh i'm gonna activate here and we're gonna send a dude and that's mine now thank you yeah thank yeah you very much for free i get to just invade your planet with a it's single just such a weird I, i'm sure we talked about it on the exploration episode but yeah it's just such a weird dynamic with mirage that there's no telling when you're going to discover it right uh i wish there was here's something Here's a little homebrew for me that I think I would want to add this ability to like the Empyrean or something. I wish somebody could like insider information style look at the next card on the the frontier deck. Yeah, you know that would be pretty. That would be pretty cool. Not I don't want that on all the exploration decks because then we get into that's what Empyrean. That's what Empyrean should have been. Is is not just like start with (laughs) DET, but also. You get to sneak up. I mean, what NRA's the exploration faction, and they got bone like they got extra yeah, cards, true. and then pick one. Why not the essentially the same thing for Empyrean, but more of like a foresight sort of. I don't know, whatever. Now we're just playing yeah. through. We should take a break. We're getting worn out, but after the break, we will come back and talk more about relics. Okay, we're back. Hi, hello. Uh, it is time hello. to talk Hi. about. The relics that you can get, we talked a lot about like relic fragment uh, uh, economy in the exploration episode. So if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and listen to it because it is kind of a precursor to this one. You are going to want a lot it's, of that information. We are going to skip a lot of frag fragment uh, math and talking uh, in this one. We're, we're not going to get into that yeah. stuff. Yeah, this is a pseudo sequel, a companion piece, you know. Yeah, this, part, yeah. part deux. Uh, part so deux. Uh, our relics 
uh, there are an amount of them that is small, which means we're always kind of playing a tight little game of roulette with relics. Uh, They range in uh, power, I would say. And the big question everybody always has is whether or not you should be trying to get relics as fast as possible or if you should be trying to, like, save them for the end game. And I think we're going to get through all of the relics and then we'll sort of make that case. But as a little... As a no, little, no, I want to say it now. You'd like to tease I, it I up front? Say it I, I, think that's, I think that has value. I want to lead you off and say that a lot of these... The relics have an interesting dynamic, in my opinion, which is that a lot of them are... If you got them on round one, they're actually pretty awesome. They're yeah, great. If right. your whole game... You had this little boon, it's great. Some of them, you get them on the last round, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a very big difference. Yeah. You might have sunk some money, some cash on getting this relic, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and then there's like, what, how many? Two, three, maybe, yeah. that are good, that are so good that it does not matter at all when you got them yeah <laughs> just getting them at all is is is, is awesome. good just yeah. too good to have so yeah i feel like that is the basic dynamic and then there's like maybe two that are Whatever. imo essentially worthless yes essentially for you the person that gets it not good enough yeah basically yeah. so let's we're just gonna this is in, an, in a somewhat arbitrary order i don't think we're gonna like really really rank these uh we might be able to sort of make a rough ranking at the end of uh, at the end of all this but first up is the profits tiers uh when you research a technology you may exhaust this card to ignore one prerequisite or draw one action card yeah so this is uh this is one that is exactly as i described if yeah. you got this on round one that's pretty cool. We're, we got an extra skip yep. all game long, or we got an extra action card all game long. We get this on the final round. Well, unless we just desperately needed one more, you know, <laughs> action wild card. tech skip. Yeah. Or that, I don't know, like a late game assault cannon that was going to make the difference or yep. a late game uh, light wave more likely, I guess. Um, then, then sure. But in a lot of situations, this isn't, this isn't too great. So I, I, I feel like... Well, and I'll, I'll actually I'll say this for when we get to conclusions, but yeah, I don't know. How do you feel about this one? I, I, I this one uh, I don't always love getting. Um, it's fine, but it sort of sits in that area more of like, oh, this is the thing I have to remember to do now. <laughs> it's yeah. benefit isn't so big that I'm like, I have that and I can. Oh, man, I'm using that every single turn. It's more like, oh, yeah, I can. Mm, OK, well, if I can skip what opportunities does that open up for me instead then? Okay, well, let me think about this for a minute. And sometimes it's beneficial and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're just going straight up blue and you don't want to skip anything and it doesn't matter mm-hmm. to you. So, okay, I get some extra action cards. That's fine. This one is this one is like a consolation prize uh, relic. Um, I, this is you rolled and you came out even. I remember now the, the, what you just said just reminded me of a game where I researched psychoarchaeology for skips and then the next round i got profits tears and i remember just being like oh my god yeah what a waste why did i get i got psycho and now what i needed this double skip on round three (laughs) i need just that's how much skip i need right right now i was like i don't need it now i just have psycho for some reason okay uh there's man these have some juicy uh flavor text now that i'm looking at them these are all like action cards where it's like quotes (laughs) 
This one's right, maybe fine. my favorite one. All right, do so it. So you're gonna drink a vial of murky liquid we found in a stasis vault on a dead world because you think it's the concentrated genetic essence of an entire species' most brilliant minds, and you think I'm being irrational? <laughs> What was that? Uh, what was that? What's his name? Did I do that? What, did who, I who, do that? Urkel, dude, you did Urkel at the end there. Why did it become space? Because it's like an Urkel. annoying. You know what I imagine? To me, that's a quote from uh, Fails in the book. For anyone who's who's still hunt on Fractured Void, that's that's <laughs> how that guy talks and acts. Um, so that was okay. my that was my Doctor Thales. That's your Thales yeah. for this is now for just when all I do the audiobook is... of the Fractured right. Void. Can you do an unauthorized audiobook? Yeah, I'm really racist. (laughs) (laughs) He's saying that because the character is racist. racist, Sorry. If you didn't didn't care about lore, that was a very weird statement. Let's move on to the obsidian. The obsidian is, when you gain this card, draw one secret objective. You can have one additional scored or unscored secret objective. Whoops, we did it. We found the best one. Yep, best one. (laughs) Best one. This is the one you should want. This is the one when you get it, you should be happy. Yeah, the, and um, this is, and it doesn't matter uh, when you get it. Always good. Good round one. Good round five. Yeah. Don't care. Uh, obviously, a yeah. little bit worse round. Like I mean, specifically five. If you the, then the secret you draw isn't something you can immediately do. I mean, that's rough. But I mean, in general, drawing another secret when you're running out of options is always great. And the idea that you can do four now, you can score four secrets, uh, is amazing. I mean, I I. I had a game recently as NRA where I think I scored four secrets in one turn uh, because of this one. This is one that NRA gets often <laughs> because they're, yeah. they they get through relics real fast. Yeah. Also, one time, this has nothing to do with Obsidian, but I just want to point out because you were like, oh, maybe if it's the end of the game and, and you draw a secret that doesn't help you, then yeah, whatever. But also, sometimes you draw you're at the end of the game and you're at nine and you have no way to get to 10 and then you draw a secret you can already score and you've passed yeah you're done that happened to me one time (laughs) so i'm saying that one swings both ways so yeah yeah, absolutely for sure with a bullet best relic you can get and i love it love it to pieces the inky blackness of the blade evoked feelings of discomfort and nausea and all who saw it all but sharsis it whispered to him promises of power Promises of a reckoning that would see the collective unmade. Good, he thought. Let them burn. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know what that's all about. Yeah, that was kind of a weird snippet there. That's just kind of... Absolgamiarata, who's Sharsis? I'm curious. Would love to know who Sharsis is. Who's Sharsis and what are they doing? Next up is the Dominus Orb. Before you move units during during a tactical action... You may purge this card to move and transport units that are in systems that contain one of your command tokens. Yeah, how do you feel about this one, Matt? I'm kind of, it's okay. I, I, I have gotten it in a couple games and then like done that thing where you <laughs> like you push yourself too far to, to assume you can make like the most amazing play out of it until it's too late and then you never found the play to use it and then you never used Dominus Orb because you like were looking for like that absolutely perfect opportunity. Um, so this is one I would encourage people to use it when it's like definitely good, but don't, I mean, it is, the 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 assumption is you're going to save this until like your game winning play, right? I mean, because this is basically equivalent to some heroes. Like some heroes are this ability to just unlock your stuff or move through your, that this is the nomad 
uh, final round in in a smaller form. So it can be mm-hmm. really, really uh, tempting to want to use this as like the final action to win. But like sometimes it's useful in round three to get the point you otherwise wouldn't have gotten. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's worth it's worth a point. If it gets you a point, right. it got you a point, and that's good. Right. Um, so yeah, I I it, this is this is this one has a high level of variance. I would yeah. say there are some games where this is gonna feel like poo poo didn't didn't help, uh, and then there are some games where this is this is gonna make uh, your late game. I wanted to mention Brian pointed out uh, this is some good pre errata does not combo well with the Sardak Commander oh, yeah. because uh, you're not able to to move to commit uh infantry that are locked down so those infantry that you left on the planet so you do not transport out of it via dominus orb didn't really work so i'd say if you're sardak meh yeah forget to get this out of my face that's interesting uh next up is the codex as an action so this one's a stall purge this card to take up to three action cards of your choice from the action card discard pile this is the one where everybody at the table groans (laughs) when you draw it because mm-hmm. it means, oh, go. what I encourage people to do when this one gets drawn is immediately hand the discard pile to the player with the codex. Yes. So they can yes. just start and, and make a short list. Because when you when you eventually take these cards, they're all going to be face up anyways. Like people get to know what you take from the codex. Yeah. If you play yeah. some weird meta where you like secretly take them off the discard and don't tell anybody, you're being um, a rude person, <laughs> in my opinion. You should, you should, when you do the codex, you should announce the three cards you took because they're supposed to be public knowledge and it's weird for you to do it any other way. Hey, um, if you don't announce it, I'm going to take the whole discard pile and I'm going to make us wait. You know what yeah. I mean? Like just tell <laughs> right. us because I'll figure it out. Right. Uh, so the idea here is uh, make a little short list, start setting stuff to the side. It doesn't matter. I mean, I, I guess there's some situations where you like don't want people to exactly know what you're sifting through because you're looking so far ahead. But like, whatever, fluff, you know, put too much stuff in it and know what's really in your short list. I'll do that. I'll put 10 cards aside and be like, amongst these 10 are the three I'm going to take eventually. And I'm just going to set them aside so I don't have to look through this thing later. But this sure. is the one that kills the tempo of the table if you don't prep for it. Yeah, and I would say as opposed to Dominus Orb, which is... Uh kind of a similar type of like oh this could be really good maybe it's maybe it's maybe it'll help me win the game maybe yeah. it'll just help me get through a round uh codex i would put on a, a higher level than than the orb yeah uh, as far as its ability to uh to affect the game um i would i would say obviously there's a dynamic of like you need to wait till the discard pile is hot yeah but also if you need some component action cards to stall in order to get a point in this round right Use it for a point. They're, yep. they're, they're worth a point yeah. in my head. So this, That's how they the work. same idea. Yeah, you, you don't want to outweight yourself on this one if you could if you could really change around three or round four. But obviously there's huge value in it. Don't use it round three if you're not going to use the action cards in round three, right? No, because definitely more not. people are going to discard stuff, and there's no other way for other players to take stuff out of the discard pile. So you might as well wait it out until all the best stuff is there. And it's like, this is the round I'm definitely using this stuff so it's now time to play the codex so yeah codex is definitely best used in like a round five scenario but like hunter's saying don't let that mean you pass up an opportunity to get a point in round four or something i mean if it changes yeah. your round it's worth using and getting that point for yeah i th- I, I think so that's that's kind of how ha- that's my logic for uh the relics i also just wanted to mention that we no longer live in a world where the likelihood of the that well where it's really possible that the discard pile is going to get reshuffled true um, so there is 
there's no rush you yeah, know it's right. it's whatever gets in there is going to be in there yep. for whenever you're going to play it right no single tome could contain the collected knowledge of millennia of rulers thus the last emperor built a massive cruiser its holds bulging with crystal info matrices <laughs> it roams the outer reaches of the mechatol system awaiting a summons that will never come so the codex is just a cruiser that flies around full of books <laughs> Ah, and it's got a bulging hole. <laughs> Love it. That's a, a, ah, Speaking cruiser. of bulging holes, Maw of Worlds is next. Uh, at the start of the agenda phase, you may purge this card and exhaust all of your planets to gain any one technology. This one's easy yeah. to misread, as I have done often where I want it to just be research, and it's way, 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 way better than that. This no, is this is around three light wave deflector. This is x89 uh, when you need it. This is big this time is assault cannon. It's whatever you want it to be. It's war suns, bud. You want war suns? Get war suns with my worlds. Who cares? Yeah, the only Achilles heel of, of this card is the fact that it happens in the agenda phase. Yep. So on the final round, this is a completely Dead. useless card. Right. Um, so I, I... This is maybe an odd one to put this way, but I think this is also sort of a hunter's law better. The earlier you get it, yep. uh, kind of, kind of card. It's not, uh, you're not getting a constant return on investment, but a game where on round one, I know I'm going to have a salt cannon yeah. that I wouldn't normally have access to, right. uh, is a game where I'm planning my whole, all my builds, everything mm -hmm. around, uh, this tech, uh, uh you know, a round two light wave, is around where I maybe decide to go for control objectives first. Right. Because, you know, it's just like, I can get there. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it now before uh, before they outnumber me plastic-wise or yeah. whatever or defend against it. The big um, thing here, too, is for all of those factions where we talk about an amazing... I mean, we just did some pre-errata for, for Nomad earlier where we're like, Duranium, ugh, it's just out of the way. Yeah, we, like don't think you have to get a stage three tech or war suns. Ah. If it's if destroyer two is gonna change your nomad game, which it will, get destroyer two off of this. Yeah. I mean that's two or, or that's two tech you just... want to get. Right, get duranium. Yeah. Do these things that like really unlock your potential. Where like if it even if it's only skipping one tech from what you could have gotten, the game is so fast. This is worth using that on because if it gets you that stuff that unlocks your potential, then you want that as fast as possible before the game gets away from you. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, some things that can be kind of a bummer about this are, you know, like if you're Joel Nar and this, and you get this relic, it's like, meh, whatever. Yeah, right. Like, it's like, what were you not going to have access to? Yeah. Um, or even if you're just kind of deep down every tech, if you're just having a great tech game and you yeah. get Mauve Worlds, it might just be like, well, is there really something I don't have access to that I want that bad? Yeah. So I this, have a this, I have a hard time using it too because of that unknown of I have to skip I have to sit out on an agenda phase, um, an agenda phase yeah. that could reward points for all I know. Yeah, I have no idea what's going if Seed of an Empire comes up and I and I miss out or whatever. If Mutiny comes out, you know things can happen that that hurt and and so I'm always it's always hard for me to use this. I'm not I'm not a tech heavy player, so it's always mm -hmm. hard for me to imagine what tech is really going to change my game more than the roulette wheel of what might come up in the agenda phase. Yeah, and also I wanted to point out, uh, Necro can use this, right? Because yeah. it's gain it attack. It is gain, so... not research. Necro's ability is to research a tech you gain command counters. This one, Necro can get a tech off of this. Fun. Oh, but uh, also we failed to mention it, but um, when it comes to uh, profits tiers, uh, Necro can't use right. that because they do not research tech. So right. there's no skipping there. 
Yeah. I don't know why we needed that extra little necro thing. I think sure. I just read that somewhere on the priorata. Yeah. Um, uh, next up is the crown of Thalnos, uh, the old agenda that everybody hated to get. Guess what? It's a relic you hate to get too. During each combat <laughs> round, this card's owner may re-roll any number of their dice, applying plus one to the results. Any units that re-roll dice but do not produce at least one hit are destroyed. That is a lot of really specific wording to sell you on the idea that units that roll two dice, if you get a hit on the first roll and like other rolls don't get hits, you can freely re-roll this. Because yeah. uh, you they already produced a hit. So if a war sun hits on one die and the other two whiff for some reason, you can do the other two rolls again and be safe because your war sun got a hit already. Even oh, if you good. whiff again. It works with it works with war suns, so now war suns can get more hits out of it. That's well, really it's good. cool. It's good on you know this met there's the the max no roll Matt, two that's dice. a really good point because war suns were like hurt like it was hard to get hits <laughs> with war suns. So right. like this ability to make sure you're getting more you know, like fighty hits out of the war suns, you know <laughs> the war suns you definitely good, researched Matt. and have. Yeah, you definitely already have those, and almost <laughs> everybody does. So that is good general advice. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, this um, ain't this isn't great. Uh, it's so hard to risk, especially because so many units don't even hit above fifty percent. So the idea that you're gonna re-roll and then even by increasing those odds plus one, I mean you might still like your your cruisers still might only now be improved to fifty percent, and you might lose some cruisers, and that's that's gonna be soul crushing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've never I've never seen it really uh, shine for anybody thus far. Um, I don't think it's the worst relic. No. Um, well, I think there's no. I think there is an objectively worse, worse no, relic. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. It's it's not the worst one, but I definitely uh, I definitely see it as uh, uh, on the on the not good side, and I I am bummed anytime I get it. Yeah. Basically, definitely. Um, especially when you're NRA and you're trying to close out a win, uh, and all <laughs> you need to do is draw shard of the throne, and you got a fifty percent you know chance. In there. You, you yeah. know it's you know shard of the throne is in there. You got a fifty percent <laughs> odds of getting it, and the first one you get it's crown of Thalnos. That is a bad feeling. <laughs> yeah, that does feel bad. That's yeah. That's uh, next up is the crown, another crown, the crown of Amphidia. After you perform a tactical action, you may exhaust this card to explore one planet you control. So here's another explore timing window. <laughs> Amongst all of the many explore timing windows, this is after you perform a tactical action uh, for more exploration per round. That's great. But also at the end of the status phase, if you control the Tomb of Infidia, you may purge this card to gain one victory point. We talked about the Tomb of Infidia during the exploration episode. It's a cultural planet that gained that attachment. Um, so this is a one-time use thing. You can't trade relics. So if you draw the crown of Amphidia, you are now on a hunt for the Tomb of Amphidia. If it mm -hmm. hasn't already been explored, you have an ability to start exploring cultural planets to try and find the tomb. If the tomb is already out there, you need to start building plastic to go get the tomb and get the point. Yeah, I, that aspect of it has not... I, I think uh, in most of my games, the, the person with the crown has had bad luck. I've yet to see the crown person find the tomb. Somebody yeah. else always finds it, and then it's like... They need to go get it from that person, and then that doesn't quite happen. Yeah. So if it doesn't get you the VP, I would say it's uh it, it's just okay, right. not not horrible, but um but you know it's hopefully it's gonna help you get another relic. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and then it's like maybe it'll fix itself uh in in that kind of bad way. But in the world where it gets you a VP, it's one of the really good ones. Right. Like yeah. it's it's 
It's, it's a, a VP that cannot be taken away from you. Uh, oh, someone yeah. else getting Tomb of the, the hardest thing about it, though, honestly, is the idea that it doesn't happen until the end of the status phase. So it's not, you don't take it and then immediately get the point. You got to hold it for the round. So it's the kind of thing where you have to stall people out to try to get it. Uh, what happened to me in a recent game was an opportunity for the Tomb of Amphidia to be my final point, but in a last round scenario, because it's at the end of the status phase, getting that tomb point doesn't even lock up your 10th point because a lot of other players might get to 10 during the score objectives step oh, of the status point. phase. So Tomb of Amphidia is not always a reliable thing. If anything, Tomb of Amphidia is a better point to lock down early. You get this one early and you try to get that point round three or four. Do not wait until round five because it will probably be too late. Oh, definitely don't delay. To score the point. Yeah, it's such a it's it's such a hard point to score because it's all every this is all visible. None yeah. of this is secret. Right. It's like if somebody else finds the tomb, they know you're going to want to get to it. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I I, I I mean, the exploration uh, aspect, the you may exhaust to explore one planet you control. I think that's a that's fine. I don't think that is really great unless you get it right away. Yeah. So the crown of Amphidia, I'm going to say to me personally, has the highest variance yes. of potential goodness to badness of any of the relic cards. Right. Because I think there is a good chance that there's going to be a game where somebody gets Crown of Amphidia, that the tomb is never accessible to them, and they just explore a bunch of industrial planets and get Nothing. some extra right. trade goods. And that's, in the end, that's all that, all that ends up being. Yeah. Um, which is... Uh, which is a uh, bomber sauce. Yeah, um, pretty bad. But then there's going to be the game where somebody explored and got lots of good things that they wanted, and they also got another relic, and they also got the victory point right. out of it. So it's like it can it, <laughs> it can, can do juicy. a lot of work for you. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's just more credence to the idea that like you need to get these relics as fast as possible because in some way you have to kind of they change the way you think about your whole game. So it's less about like the benefit is useful to have in round one. It's like no 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 the knowledge of having the relic is important to the rest of your game and tomb of or crown and tomb of Amphidia are like the biggest selling point of that. It's like, I need to know if this thing's going to be worth going for or not as soon as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Next up, we have the shard of the throne. When you gain this card, you gain a victory point. When you lose this card, you lose a victory point. When a player gains control of a legendary planet you control or a planet you control in your home system, that player gains this card. What power does a broken piece of the throne of emperors hold? <laughs> to me, none, but to everyone else. Dot, 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 ellipses. Uh, this one is obviously the bee's knees, uh, except for I would put this in the category of the one thing that can be annoying and awkward to get too early in the game. Sure. Yeah, it does have that consideration for it. Although, in the world where you get this early and you've planned around it, you've yep. known this whole time that I need to make sure that my home system is is always extra safe. You know, yep. you always want to protect your home system, but I feel like the earlier you know that this is going to be a shard game, <clears throat> the earlier you know that you need to be looking at everybody else as far as what they can do to you. And boy, um, there is a big difference in games where the shard holder has a legendary planet when they gain control of the shard yep. versus games when they don't. That is two completely different games mm -hmm. that you are playing. <laughs> I agree. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's weird in that way because it's like you have a legendary planet, you get shard, and all of a sudden you're like, oh no, this legendary too many planet things is just to a liability. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially yeah. when it's like Malice and you don't have the DMZ on it. It's like, I have the wormhole nexus where everyone has access to me 
and a uh-huh. shard, and now you got a hot potato point that's jumping around the table all game long. Like that's just right. a guarantee. Now, now you got to think about shard in the way we used to think of the crown of Amphidia agenda, where it's like you just all you got to do is win a fight. This point is going all over the place. Uh, but then yeah. there's the games where it's literally just like the old. Or I might be getting it backwards. Kind of Amphidia was the one where you have to do your home and Shard was the hot potato. But regardless, Shard can be just that. If Especially if you're like Yin with no legendary planets, uh, you're all right. You're good. Shard, Shard of the Throne is yours <laughs> for the yeah, rest of the game. That's true. That's true. So so again, a, kind of a high variance yeah. um, of like uh, possible outcomes. I'm going to give the edge to Shard over Crown um, just because Shard gets the to the point right away. So even though it has this Achilles heel, it's not like it's not like it's going to do absolutely nothing for me. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there are going to be those situations where somebody gets it and it's like, oh, my God, the timing is so bad that there's nothing I can do to protect this right. legendary planet. But I would rather get the point for sure and then have to try and plan around it. Yeah. And then if I lose it, I lose it. You know what I mean? Like my, my pushback on that. It's not much, but it is it is annoying. I mean, like I, I had a, a Nasroka game where. I took Mechatol and did an early Imperial point. I was like, I'm going to get some heat, but I'm going to go ahead and get out there and do this. And then the first relic I drew was Shard of the Throne. I think it was the first. Maybe it was It, it was an early relic that I drew. And it was like, oh, mm-hmm. man, na- now they're never going to let me get away with anything. And the table did. Right. You guys didn't. It was like uh, Matt has three free points that he got above everybody else. Uh, so Matt isn't allowed to do anything else for the rest of this game without getting a lot of heat for it. Right. Yeah. And that was a game uh, where the winner of that game won off of getting the shard, the shard from somebody that had taken it from you yep. i remember somebody um, i don't was remember that? who that yeah i don't remember who that was but it was somebody um sure. but yeah so yeah shard because it's hot potato it, it it is in that way a little worse than crown i think i'm maybe uh bringing in some personal bias and yeah. just saying like well i'd rather just defend my stuff right uh than have to do some weird like quest yeah to, I think nine times out point. of ten, Shard of the Throne is better. But there are games where you already got the tomb and you get the crown, and it's like, hey, cool, free point, <laughs> like very, I very free, get... unstoppable point. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say no. I would, I wouldn't even be as confident as you just were with the nine times out of ten. I, I think they're they're way closer in mm-hmm. their randomness. I'm just giving the edge to Shard because I just like the simplicity of, yeah. here's your sign. <laughs> Let's do the scepter of Emilpar. When you would spend a token from your strategy pool, you may exhaust this card to spend a token from your reinforcements instead. This one yeah. is obviously Hunter's Law. Very juicy early. I won't overstate the power of it. It's a command counter per round. It's it's hypermetabolism. Yeah. That's good. We love hypermetabolism, and hypermetabolism only problem is how late it is in the tree, so sometimes it's hard to research. If you could guaranteed get hypermetabolism early game, every game, you would do it for sure. Yeah. So yeah, um, it's good. It's it's like you're good. I think this was like the middle of the road. I put yeah. this like dead center, something like that. Dead center with like the the tech one and the like like profits tears. Right. Um, actually, I think this is a little better than profits tears. I, though, I to do. Be honest. I, and what's even juicier about it too is the idea. Even the round you get it. Sometimes you didn't. You know, it, it helps you when your budgeting gets off or whatever, and you don't even have tokens. Yeah. There, you know, profits tears. You're still you have to research the tech. This one, it's like. I don't even have tokens left, but I can still do at least one more uh, secondary or whatever. You know, I can I can redirect all of my tokens into into tactics rather than uh, strategy or whatever. Yeah, it also helps. You know, those rounds where 
you know, it's like round two or round three. Somebody picked Imperial, so you're like, okay, I have to do the secondary of Imperial. Yes. But also, I'd really like right. to be able to do like tech or something else, but I only have one token right. in strategy. And if it all pops on the first turn, then blah. yeah, yeah. Um, this would this would totally help you get around that, which is beautiful, and yeah. and I like that aspect of it. So it's good. I it's feel like it's mid, in mid high. Yeah, even. it's mid high. It's it's basically never really worth a point. So it puts it below any of the ones that could potentially get you a point. You know, Dominus Orb sure. and Codex can can really open up opportunities for you. Scepter of Emilpar is an 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 economic engine for you. It is not opening up some crazy opportunity for you. It's a fun. It's a good cookie. It's yeah. just here's your cookie. Yep. Uh, all right, we have Stellar Converter. Here's another stall as an action. Choose one non-home, non-legendary planet other than Mechatol Rex. So all the normie planets, all the basic planets with traits, uh-huh. and they aren't legendary, uh, choose one of those in a system that is adjacent to one or more of your units that have bombardment. So many is the most, the largest list of qualifiers. <laughs> if you have all of those things, you have a Dreadnought adjacent or above a planet that isn't Mechatol or Legendary or Home, destroy all units on that planet and purge its attachments and its planet card. Then place the destroyed planet token on that planet and purge this card. This is super x89 bacterial weapon. This destroys the entire planet. The planet is destroyed. Does it do anything for you, the person who played it? No. (laughs) No. Nope. Oh, well, it's a actually, stall. What, there's that edge case you were telling me. Yeah, so it's there's a stall, it's, it's but... a stall, and also it's the whole thing of if it's the only planet in a system and you blow it up, that's now a planetless system, and there is an objective where you're supposed to have planet ships in systems without planets. So technically, people are really keen to point out that Stellar Converter can open up that scoring opportunity for you. But And, and I'm even a little bit iffy on that ruling. That <laughs> seems weird to me because there's still a planet There's a destroyed there. planet token. Yeah, but I, I, I believe it has been ruled that that is not a planet. It is a destroyed planet. I don't know. It's, it is almost feels like somebody realized that this relic kind of sucks after the fact <laughs> and tried to and give tried it. To to give it. <laughs> A little extra thing. Well, boy, it does take a lot of setup, but this is the one that, this is the feel-bad relic. This is the one that I hate seeing other people get because it's just like, man. Yeah, it's a big bummer. It's also the reason that you don't want to try to win from ahead in Prophecy of Kings because if somebody gets Mm -hmm. Stellar Converter, like, Yep. Okay. I'm I'm in the lead. I'm gonna get hit with that. I get it. Cool. Well, there's got to be a control objective, and that there's comes no out that way to stop. To be essential. There's just like no way to stop it. Too. I mean, the the yeah. idea that I'm going to protect everything adjacent to all of my planets so that somebody can't park a dreadnought adjacent to it, like that's just that. It, yeah. If someone wants to stellar convert, they're doing it. Sure. I mean, I think that there could be situations where maybe all your attachments are in on the wriggles that all the attachments you need are on the wriggles. So it's just like everything around the wriggles must be safe. Um, maybe, I don't know. There could be, there could, but yeah, if somebody wants to sell or convert you, it's gonna be pretty hard to stop them for the whole game. And then, yeah, if it's, if, if it comes down to a control objective and they can sell or convert. Yeah. I mean, I lost a game, uh, that way moose got me with stellar convert. Yeah. I forgot what I, who I was playing as, I think Mahawked. And, Boy, uh, this, yeah. this is the Mahawk of relics, isn't it? <laughs> the the like yeah. <laughs> everyone else tells you how to use it, and it's like, yeah. okay, fine, I'll kingslay for everyone. Fine, whatever. I'll right. do your dirty work. Yeah, it's kind of it's. I don't know. It's. I think it's objectively the worst one. Yeah. Just because you you're not getting some sort of thing for it. If it was like it it kills the planet 
and then you receive you're paid something for having destroyed that planet at yeah. least right that'd be kind of cool right if you uh, if you gained its value its resources and influence value and in trade goods or something yeah would be, would that'd be, be nice, fun but. just give me something give me give me a little something for it because it also something. helps it also helps the person that this happens to in my opinion in 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 my meta it makes me feel better if someone is stopping me and hurting me yeah. in order to get something for themselves. But if they're stopping me just for the sake uh-huh. of that, it hurts more. It may, may hurt my heart more. Yeah. Um, okay. Next up, we have JRXS4550. What? Uh, no, there's no next up, Matt. That's the end of the relics. That's no, all we've the got, relics I, we have. I'm looking at it right here. I've got one more. I've got, actually, I've got one two i got uh three more relics here uh, I've got... why do you have three there's not three more relics we just did them all right no. i mean I'm uh, at... there are three more relics uh there's there's this one here i'm about to read jrxf why uh, are you four, what i don't four, understand four, what's four, this four, five, relic five, zero uh there's nano forge there's dynamis core come on hunter get with it get with the program where, where did these come from where are you getting these from oh this is from codex affinity this is from the next codex that's coming. Oh, out. new in, secret new codex. Secret episode. new codex is where I've oh, got this. We're all doing from. a secret new codex episode in yeah, the nonchalant. Yeah, there's an embedded secret new codex episode inside the episode that we oh, didn't talk about. Oh, so like a secret cheat code, you have to unlock <laughs> it by getting to this, this is point our game in the episode. Genie. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you enter JRXS4550 <laughs> and then you unlock the secret codex episode. Yeah, we right, uh, so hey, this look, is our, we've got yeah. some stuff to reveal. Uh, these are three new relics that are coming out uh, with the with the next codex that is release date unconfirmed soon soonish. I don't I soon-ish. genuinely don't know. Don't ask me. Don't know. Don't know. But I have three relics to show you, um, and this will up our total count of relics to just thirteen. Not a whole okay. lot more, but a little bit, little bit sweet in the pot some. Um, people are going to be asking this, so I'll get it out of the way right away. Our tournament will start using these immediately um until we have like proper images i'm sure we'll find a way to get them implemented in i'm sure as they're hearing this voice milty and daryl and other mod people are like oh let me type up a thing and i'll put it in there or whatever (laughs) but uh yeah these are three new relics that we will start using immediately uh before our prelims have kicked off so what is jrxs 455.0 this is the lost titan prototype and this relic, if you could visually see it, you would note that the card is uh, landscape, not portrait. It is sideways because this is an agent that you gain. Oh, You get uh, a lost Titan prototype as an agent. So you would put this similar to Nomad. You would put this next to your other agent. It operates exactly like all other agents. Temporal Command Suite can reactivate it. Isaral Tribes can copy it. Uh, it, it's an agent for all intents and purposes. And that ability that the agent grants you is action. Exhaust this agent and choose a player. Of course, you can choose yourself. That player may spend three resources to place a structure on a planet they control. If they do not, they gain one trade good. Um, that is if they don't spend three resources to place a structure. So you can either mm-hmm. exhaust this and get a single trade good, or you can exhaust this, spend three resources, and put a PDS or a space dock down on a planet. And it's a stall. I and love it. And it's a stall. This is love it. juicy and good, especially those late... I mean, th- this is one of those ones where even if I draw drew this round five... It might open up my ability to get a structure objective I wasn't otherwise going to get. Those mm-hmm. late game, those, you know, that that round 
four structure objective that comes out and you only have three and you didn't want to take construction those hurt and here's a way to get more structures out on the board uh for four objectives this is very good yeah this is one of those good like scepter or um what was the other one profits tears yeah. type ones this is like a really good version of that and i think it's with you know as opposed to tech skips which you can get in yeah. the game already or like cc's uh which you could just be, have a writ a uh, uh, rich CC uh, slice. Yeah. Um, getting extra structures outside of the normal construction zone or whatever uh, is hard to do if you're not Titans. Yeah. So this is like, I would say, a pretty cool uh, version of that type of relic. And yeah. I'd say it's one of the better ones. Yeah. I, 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 especially because it's like the only ability that really exists out there <laughs> like this. Um, yeah. Ob obviously, this is another situation where this is better the earlier we get it. Um, if we can just start mm -hmm. dropping PDS wherever we want, or more importantly, you place that structure, you don't activate it like you do with construction. So if you got, if you explored and got a relic like round one, you can immediately put your forward dock wherever you want and build out of it or, or whatever. Like th this opens up lots of opportunities if you really want it to. It can be a stall into build or even, I mean, man, nomad use this next turn sling relay your flagship in the forward dock you just built with this agent and then move your flagship out and go get to work it's like disgusting there's just a lot that can happen here uh so very 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 excited for jrxs xs four five five oh i think that's an o might be a zero i think it's an o uh all right Next up, because we have three of these new ones, is Nano Forge, intended to bring peace and prosperity to a suffering <laughs> galaxy. The forge was twisted into an instrument of deadly war. As an action, attach this card to a non-legendary, non-home planet you control. Its resource and influence values are increased by two, and it is a legendary planet. So the bottom little sliver of this card is a plus two, plus two, and it has the legendary symbol on it. Uh, yeah. Non-home, non-legendary. Worth noting, this can be put on Mechatol Rex. <laughs> you can turn Mechatol Rex into a 3-8 if you want to. Yeah, so this this one really helps with, potentially with scoring uh, various objectives yeah. because it is an attachment and it also creates a non, or uh, a, legendary a legendary planet. planet. Yeah. Um, but I would say outside of those considerations, I this is the the one the one I like the least mm -hmm. of, of the new three. Yeah. Um, pretty, it's gonna be pretty big in some games, so it's definitely not it's not near the the bottom of the barrel. No. Um, I would say it's only in comparison to these uh, other two, I think, really fantastic ones that I kind of feel a little bit underwhelmed by this. We've already talked about how Shard of the Throne. And inter interact with legendary planets in bad ways. So yeah. it would suck to get shard first and then have this and be like, okay, I need to figure out which planet what... I now have to defend to the team. With my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah like... <laughs> um, so that's an interesting dynamic. A plus two and a plus two, though, is pretty cool. And it's yeah. great that you can pick it. So you're always gonna you're always gonna put it on some, you know, wackadoodle right. crazy combo. It's always gonna be on like mirror or like right. This know, gets past the, the the idea that like oh sometimes I turn a biz into a five zero. With this one, I turn a biz into a five zero on purpose. Um, it can stack up with your other attachments. So if a biz is already sure. a five zero, guess what? It's a seven zero. Yeehaw! Mm -hmm. Time to party. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty pretty. Uh, and and I would say. You know, because it helps you with two different objectives, the yeah. likelihood that it is going to be useful for scoring points is like, you know, 
is pretty high. Right. It's higher than the structure thing, and I love the structure thing. Right. Also, it's just that the structure thing helps you with other things as well. Yeah, it's also, I mean, it's a stall, um, but more importantly, like, it's not a, you You choose when you do this. So, like, you don't, mm -hmm. ha if that plus two plus two doesn't do much for you, you can literally save this until it's going to matter, right? You, you, you could just never play this ability, or you could stall at a point when uh, you know a planet isn't going to get, you know, it's not going to hurt you. So at, at its worst, this is just a stall in the last round, which, you know, that's that's not like the best thing in the world. But like you don't have to use this ability in a way that it negatively impacts you necessarily. That would be so sick, though, <laughs> if you held on to this till like your last action to help you score your final right. point. Yeah. So it's just like it's always there. It's always a potential you have. Uh, but everybody's got to wait until you finally put it down and yep. then they have to try and stop you. Right. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Last up, our final relic is the Dynamis core. Uh, Dart and Tie. Those are the uh, no the Nasroka uh, folks. Dart and Tie stood mesmerized by the swirling mass. Neither had any idea what it was, but both were fairly sure they were about to retire. The Dynamis <laughs> core, while this card... <laughs> is in your play area, your commodity value is increased by two. Yummy. So uh, Hakan becomes an eight commodity faction. Uh, Jolnar, other fours become a six. It's uh, two more commodities that you can gain. And then as an action, as a stall, you can purge this card to gain trade goods equal to your printed commodity value plus two. So not only is this good to get early and make you have more trading power all game long, in the mm -hmm. final round, you can just get your trade good value that you need to get like some final economic objective or whatever, and nobody can stop you. <laughs> you just get yeah. your money. Yeah, I like it. Artuno, baby. Yeah, that's five, oh like gosh. <laughs> that's six, that's 12 trade goods <laughs> off that purge ability. Um, so yeah, pretty cool. Uh, like it a lot um it's just cool to get extra commodity value and yeah. also like of course you know it's tempting for us to immediately go to like the really broken like eight commodities sure. for a con type stuff but the idea of like us playing factions that are not meant to have right high commodity values and suddenly they have them i mean like yeah. barony with That's four so commodities scary. i know I was, I was thinking the exact same thing it feels dirty <laughs> for barony to have four commodities and be a part yeah getting that early and like now being a part of trade deliberations is just so scary yeah yeah so th this one Oh my God! If this is your first draw, what a what a mwah, what a <laughs> what a fantastic game you are going to have! Very very fun. Yeah, in this, my I mean, this can literally. Uh, this is kind of this is maybe one of my favorites because we've talked about a couple of the others that are like, oh, they open up opportunity for points. This opens up opportunity for points as well, potentially. Like any economic yes. thing, yes. you can just get some value out of it. You don't have to hold on to it all game long. I mean, you 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 kind of can and should maybe, but I mean, doing it in round three to get that spendy objective without having to like burn a bunch of your other resources or whatever is just like super great. Um, You know, being able to lock yourself into a trade good uh objective in round four or something when everyone like knows you're the only one left to do it so they just won't trade with you well fine mm -hmm. i will just get my own money real quick and be done with it yeah yeah i love that aspect to it and i also just love thematically just the idea of like any faction becoming like a trade yeah. faction because <laughs> right. of this so like playing a sardak nor and getting the dynamis core and like i have five commodities yeah. now that's <laughs> that's more than any of you you I'm all now the come trade to bugs. me now <laughs> yeah right <laughs> 
Yeah, that's Love that's it. some juicy theme. Um, so yeah, we sort of said it at the top, but Hunter, any anything to wrap up the idea? Like, obviously, you shouldn't hold off on exchanging relic fragments for relics because there is n- almost no relic that is bad to have early. The only exception yeah, we I gave mean, to that rule is maybe the shard of the throne, and even sure, then, yes. it's useful to know you have the shard of the throne early. Yeah, yeah. So you can make an argument for when is the best time. I, I mean, I would, I, I would be annoyed to get shard in the late game especially if it's not gonna if, if it's not gonna win me the game yeah to get it as a surprise unexpectedly and not be prepared for it so i would say a vast majority of the cards in the relic deck are better the earlier you get them and what and what i want to say doubly so uh like kind of doubling down on this on on this idea is to say that if it's in the late game and you are not uh, an exploration faction like nra just like you know shooting for relics all the time um then I would really think about what is in the deck right. that you want so bad. If you're about to pay somebody, you know, four trade goods for a re- your last relic fragment, just think about, well, what is in that deck that I want so much? What What is the likelihood that I'm going to draw the card that I want? Yep. Um, and yeah, like relics are the cool, shiny new toys. And like a lot of, a lot of players, you know, want to play with them. Uh, and, and I love, I, I love when I draw a good relic. Um, but I also see people sometimes default yeah. to wanting to grab a relic. And when I think about it for a second, I'm like, I don't really see What's what it is that they're hoping to get. So just yeah. be, you know, this is a great episode to listen to if you haven't played a lot of POK at this point, because it's like you need to be familiar with what is in the deck and what you could end up with yeah. before you go kind of like trading all willy nilly, uh, trying to get a hold of one of these relics. And also, it's just cool that we got to kind of do a secret uh, yeah. Codex reveal here because these the, I'm very excited about the new ones. These well, new three are great. I, I am too, and it's so important to note that it's only three. We didn't double the size of the relic deck or anything. Yes, it, that would have drastically changed the equation. If there were ten new relics. Now it's like, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming to think about the odds. Right. It is always going to be pretty simple odds. Right. Thirteen relics and four of them are on the board. So what seven are left? What can I do mm-hmm. with that information? Is it worth it to me? Whatever. You know, there there's. Or I, th- I think I said seven is nine. Anyways, I know. Don't math me. Hi. Uh, so I-, I think they're always good to like keep an eye on what's there. And if you are looking into getting a mid to late game relic, like Hunter says, really think about what that's actually worth to you. And you may be better off trying to pawn your fragments off on somebody else for mm-hmm. true economic value and let them roll the dice on probably a not great relic. Yeah, probably, uh, you know a stellar converter or a profits tears right. in the last round or something that's just not going to add up uh, to be a whole lot. So I would say when it comes to relics, if, if you can race for your first one, do it. Right. If you can't uh, try it, try and get the fragments early. Don't, don't be waiting till round five to start perking up and being like, you know, it'd be cool to get one of those relics. Yeah. It's like, well, the likelihood that it's going to help you out is, is a lot lower now. And it is, it is very good that Dane is adding three. I would say, I mean, I don't want to be too like, you know, it's hard to judge stuff before we play with it. Sure. Um, but right now, I've got really good feelings about these three uh, additions. I think they're uh, at least middle of the pack. Yeah. And so we have, because we've added three that are good, uh, middle middling to good, we have now strengthened the entire deck. Yep. So the likelihood that you're going to draw something good uh, is higher. However, it is still carrying on with the the running theme of like a lot of these are better the earlier you get them. Yep. So race for the relics. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's let's do some cleanup here because we just dropped a, a spoiler on you and I kind of feel like we owe it to you 
Just give you a little bit more information about <laughs> uh, the Twilight Codex Volume 2 Affinity. Uh, we can't do a lot, but we can say a little, which is primarily that the relics we uh, just described to you, that is the like meat of this upcoming codex. Um, a lot of the rest that's coming in here is stuff I'm super, super stoked to have, but isn't game changing stuff. The two other big component things that like, of course, with any codex, you got to kind of print your cards out yourself. That's a whole thing. You should look for threads on BGG about makeplayingcards.com and how to import these images and then you can get the cards and then you should sleeve them and all of that. But uh, the other two sets of cards that are coming with this are faction reference cards, which are little basically like drafting cards. It has like a summation of all of the abilities of a faction on it. Mm -hmm. They all have the same back, so you can shuffle them up and deal factions out to people. People can look at the factions, and without having to sift through the faction sheets, they can just look at their card and go, hmm. There's even a little complexity meter in the bottom right corner of each one of them, so you know for new players, if it's a green faction, like, hey, you could, you'll probably be able to pick that up and play it easy. If it's a red one, you may want to steer clear. Um, so... Super, super useful thing I'm excited to have in our home copy. Uh, you know, in, in our TTS world, we already have this, like, handled. Yeah, but it's totally. just such a good thing to have uh, for, for your for your home game. The other one, um, similarly, we sort of have solved in TTS. But at home, uh, Alliance promissory notes are kind of annoying because now I have an Alliance promissory note that refers to an ability that is across the table. Well, now... Uh, we have alliance reference cards. So every uh, faction gets a little card with their alliance ability printed on it. And it's a card that you can give out with your alliance promissory note so that that person has access to that uh, ability for themselves. Um, you could even print off extras of these so that uh, Mahawk can always keep a little collection of... I'll probably <laughs> put... I will probably put a, a full set of alliance uh, reference cards in my Mahawk box. It'll be this way too jam-packed box of cards. But Mahawk just at any point can have access to all of the the factions they might have to copy abilities from right love it love it okay and anything else we need to talk about or? uh yeah there's this really ridiculous thing that dane did uh he made an alliance game very he made co-op mode it's a thing that a lot of players have tried to make happen on their own and dane was like i'll tr i'll take a stab at it how about uh we just let people co-op so he he introduced a a game variant that is 2v2 or 2v2v2 or 2v2v2v2. It's a, six, a four, six, or eight player game where at the setup, you and another faction are already allies. Set can't stop it. You are you not, two are locked into this for right. the game. Not like support partners, nope. like actual allies on every level, top to bottom. Yes. Yeah, uh, what's pretty exciting. What does this mean? I'll, I'll, I, I'm not going to I can't sit here and read the whole thing to you, but uh, you, you start with a game long ally. Your units can coexist with each other and they do not battle. So you can occupy the same space. You can occupy the same planets as each other. You can build a space dock on someone else's planet. You can do all this crazy stuff. Your transactions cannot benefit each other. And what that means is you can like swap commodities, but they don't turn into trade goods. So like I can give you commodities to refresh your commodities so that you can trade your commodities with one of our non-allies. It's really weird. Hard to imagine how you use it. Same with promissory notes. I can give you promissory notes, but you can't use my promissory notes abilities. Uh, you could just then trade it to somebody else. So I could give you my support for the throne, and then you could give my support for the throne to somebody else. Very weird to think about the implications of all of that. Um, also, when one person does a tactical action, the other person can join them in that tactical action if they also activate the system. So two of you can attack one hex at the same time. Wow. 
combats can be between four players because <laughs> <two>, I can <laughs> move in with two sets of units to a hex that has two sets of units. There's a whole description of how all of that works, but essentially, you know, you assign your own hits. Um, and there's a special mention of if you can't come to an agreement, your 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 enemy gets to choose your hits for you. So the two of you have to figure out what you know whose units are going to die when you get hit and all that. Um, and you also can use each other's planets for abilities, um, and you cannot be singularly eliminated. So, like I said, I can build a space dock on your uh, planet. I can have no other units on the board and effectively be eliminated. But because you're still in the game, I have a way to crawl back in and stay in. In this so hopefully a lot of big grudge matches in this in this game mode i expect a lot of one player only exists to feed <laughs> the other's economy <laughs> and help improve their position while they just sort of exhaust all resources to the other player um, but we'll see the big kicker here is how do you win in an ally mode you win when one ally gets to 14 points and the other gets to 10 so you need a cumulative of 24 but it has to be split up that much so at least mm -hmm. 14 points and at least 10 points amongst the two players in your alliance. Wow. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's a bunch more to it that we're, yeah. we're not, this is not a full deep dive of it. This is more of a, a tease, yeah. but it is a very exciting uh, variant that I don't even know what we're going to do. With I know. That, I, you know. I definitely want to do some streams with it. You know, we did one stream of the last Codex's scenario game, the kind of different variant, mm -hmm. but that one was pretty imbalanced. It's a goofy, fun thing to do, but it's not one I want to like, do regularly this i haven't played it yet but feels like uh it will be very much juicy to do yeah uh yeah. want to do this one super often. fun yeah can't can't wait to give this one a few goes um even to the idea of making pre-made maps with alliances in mind changes everything <laughs> to me uh there's just so much that can happen there so uh very 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 excited for ally mode yeah yeah so uh you're welcome for your secret codex yeah, episode. No, i didn't get to put in the episode you didn't know is tell your friends that there's secrets in this episode because otherwise they won't know uh, yeah. i want to thank all of our weird bears fargan stg welch brian bot bot kaluin squeamish e squeamu son of leto mate nason john <laughs> rwise absol and ponchidori <laughs> i want to thank our little peace turtles naderade patience is a virtue polyphone and requiem gaskio dark jutsu Istoria, brave sir robin uncle batty frank g carnal my son is also named bort anvalier samley and alice all right uh new galactic council poll is out uh, this is the second round. You can vote on one of these topics. Um, remember, we have sort of switched up Galactic Council episodes now. They are going to be uh, shorter kind of freewheeling uh, bonus episodes that you're actually going to get, um, which I realize now we're going to get to episode 200 sooner than than I thought. Oh, so, yeah. oh, that's nice. a thing. Um, so here, here are your two options. Um, is Arborex still the worst faction? And the other option is uh, tournament predictions. Me and Matt sit down and make some some hot calls yeah. on what we're gonna see and think by the end of the tournament about this game because we always learn a lot yeah. during the tournament. To be honest, especially so. in this year's because I mean yeah we've only seen a very limited amount of POK in the wild so this will be our real opportunity to see how different people think and feel about this game. Yes, yes, um, and then uh, as far as Twitch goes, we covered it at the beginning, but the tournament is starting. This weekend, your first game is on Friday, March 19th, um, 1500 UTC on the Space Cats Peace Turtles Twitch. Uh, that's with me and Matt uh, commentating, and that is uh, 10 a.m. Central Time, if we're talking uh, U.S. time. And then on Saturday, March 20th, um, at 900 UTC um, on the uh, Flat Tomatoes Twitch, which is uh, twitch.tv slash uh, Flat Tomatoes, all one word. 
Um, that will be game two of the prelims. Um, and then Sunday, March 21st, uh, 1400 UTC or 9 a.m. Central mm-hmm. Time uh, on the Space Cats Peace Turtles Twitch, you can catch game three uh, of the prelims commentated by me and maybe a guest if I find somebody uh, that wants to do it. <laughs> now taking um, applicants, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh I'm, my God, I'm, 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 I'm commentating two games. Oh I, I know, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I would also... Um, expect this to be more or less the trend of the tournament three games per weekend which obviously means we're looking at roughly 12 weeks before we finish the prelims so there's that uh there's that <laughs> realization oh. uh yeah we got uh homebrewers guild that's gonna happen someday i don't know how we're gonna pull that off with all the games we have to stream when does the finals happen the finals that don't ask me that question how dare you <laughs> so July when is this probably over? Probably okay. July. Our, what's Probably in our calendar July. is definitely not right. I'll say that much. What you and I have in our private calendar isn't even remotely correct in terms of what when we're going to finish this thing. Um, okay. YouTube. Hey, uh, I, Hunter's going to upload a game I I played or that is from my perspective. Um, and the theme that you'll get from from watching, but you won't have the Twitch chat was it was my anger management <laughs> seminar. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. so I was doing my best to keep my cool. I did, I did okay. Uh, <laughs> so YouTube be nice. We'll see what you Please recognize thinks. my growth as a person. I think I'm doing uh-huh. better. I'm not uh-huh. doing good, but I'm doing better. So give me a win here, please. Please. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, also expect, uh, all of the, yep. the prelims games, uh, will be coming up on, uh, the YouTube. I'm not saying that they will all be up by the time you hear from us again, but be expecting uh, those the turnaround, uh, the turnaround on those to be uh, kind of fast. I won't be chopping them up, yeah, uh, round by round. It's too many games. I'm sorry. It's going to be um, big chunks of video on the Space Cat feed for a while. Big chunky video. Um, I will do my best to. Uh, I'll here's the compromise. Uh, I'll try and put time codes for sure. each round in the the info. Yeah. Um, but the idea that we're going to upload what like. 24 plus hours of content per week well 24 plus videos that's the problem is that if we chopped them up yeah. round by round it would just be, be the 18, sheer amount of separate videos to 18 yeah it'd be so many if i was subscribed to our youtube i would be like i'm clicking this off yeah. because every week they just flood my subscription right. <laughs> with and it's like you know i like these videos but i'm not you know i'm not trying to watch every single one of them but anyways so yeah the those prelims videos uh will be will be coming out and uh oh boy yeah oh yeah. boy uh if you like this if you like reveals like this episode if you appreciate this podcast if you are excited for the tournament please consider giving us a five star rating it really does help you know i say that stuff because i hear other podcasters say it and i i've read stuff about the algorithm i don't know how much it helps but why don't you give me a five star rating anyways why don't you just say nice things about me and improve it makes my anger management go better it does help. No, it helps because you, you, we are the weirdest pitch of a podcast. <laughs> we don't we don't so get like, to advertise ourselves very well. So we yeah, need we, you to do it. We need you to make up fake things that our podcast is about so that we get sure. really thrown into whatever algorithm mess uh, we, we can If the find. message of of the somebody looking up this podcast just randomly is like, wow, this is like weirdly specific. These guys are freaks. Yep. But also... <laughs> Seems like people like it. Yeah. Like that's that's <laughs> Seems worth digging into. I guess I'll give it a go. That's a helpful pitch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can also uh, find more information about our Patreon, our Twitter, our Discord, our merchandise, all of that at spacecatspeaceturtles.com.
Okay. What's uh what's the the moment of of what's Zen? Moment of Zen. What is it this time? Um, Tell me what it is. More more. Uh, so I skipped a couple uh, relic uh, flavor texts. You did. I noticed that. As and... the hilt began to fuse with the flesh of her hand, she worried that she should set the scepter aside. But the whispered suggestion in her mind were too valuable and insightful to seriously consider such a rash and illogical act. That was scepter of okay. Do you want uh, another? Is that it? Uh, cloud, no. A cloud of satellites spewed from the dreadnought's hull, drifting into a halo around the vessel. The battle seemed to pause for one long moment before the drone's weapons flared, unleashing beams of energy in all directions. That was my news broadcaster um, doing the Crown okay. of Thanos. Uh, no, no more? <laughs> Please. No more? And okay, the crown of Amphidia. The machines of the Forgotten Throne World could only be controlled through the data impulses of the black barbed crown. I'm gonna click stop. Okay. So, uh, really stellar converter. A power great enough to envelop a star such that its energies might be concentrated and scattered. I'm gonna hang up now. Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>